Well, this morning we're following up with our, our series on the book of Haggai. And it's a small book in the Old Testament, but it, boy, it packs a powerful punch because it's got an incredible word for us as God's people. Um, because in the book of Haggai, we saw the story of the people rebuilding the temple. We see that under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel, um, under the leadership of a man named Joshua the high priest, the Persian Empire had allowed the Israelites, the people of Judah, to return back to their homeland, return back to Judea and to this capital city of Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. Now, truthfully, God had actually used this Persian king, Cyrus, to let all the peoples of the nations return to their homelands and rebuild their kingdoms. They kind of had an agenda here. The Persian king decided to keep the peace I'll kind of give them a bone. Everybody can go back if you want to. Everybody can go back to your own towns. Everybody can go back. And by the way, I'm going to give you a little money to rebuild your own temples to your own gods. And you can restore the worship how you want to. It'll be fine. Just make sure that they pray for the king. The king's thinking, I'm placating the people here. They'll be happy. And by the way, if, they, if their gods really are gods... Maybe I'll appease those gods and so those gods wouldn't be mad at me and would bless the king too. He kind of had a selfish motivation here, but God had used that situation to do what he had foretold and what he had predicted through the prophet Jeremiah, that after 70 years of exile, the people would be able to return and rebuild. I think this word in Haggai has a particular message for us, for us who are seeing a time of revitalization in this congregation. And so let's listen closely to the word of the Lord, beginning at the very end of Haggai chapter 1, but really into chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the second year of King Darius, and then verse 1 of chapter 2, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and the governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house, the temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and what is desired of all by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Because the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. 
in this passage, we see Haggai's basically his second sermon. Now, let me review the timeline for just a second. We had already learned last Sunday that the Persians uh, had restored and let the people come back um, to rebuild the temple. Um, this began um, under... Uh, Joshua, son of Josedach, and Zerubbabel, they had gotten construction, they had laid the foundations, and apparently, as we learned from Ezra last week, that construction had stopped because, well, there was a new imperial king, there was a new authority, and some locals, uh, some people who weren't as happy with that reconstruction of the temple had kind of done through some political intrigue, some little man political maneuvering. They had sent word back to the new Persian emperor, hey, these guys are troublemakers. You don't really want them rebuilding their city. You don't want them rebuilding their temple. And the work had stopped. It seemed impossible. It was an imperial edict. There was no way for things to go forward. And God sent the prophet Haggai, we learned uh, last time, to speak to the people. No, take courage. Obey the Lord. Be faithful. Well, God in his faithfulness, boy, worked out the laws. You see, the laws of the Medes and Persians could never be overturned. So a future king could never overturn the laws of a previous king. And so they did a little bit of research, and that's where the lawyers came in, and said, hey, actually, a previous king had already given an edict. A previous king, King Cyrus, told us to rebuild this temple. We're working under, under their rule. And all of a sudden, the work continued, and they began to rebuild the temple. That's where we pick up this second sermon. It's been four months. They've gotten busy. They've gotten, they've, they were rebuilding. This remnant of the people, these few thousand uh, people of Israel who had returned home, had really put themselves into it and really begun to build. And it was hard. And the work probably wasn't progressing quite like they had hoped. And they had received some few government funds to kind of make it happen. But this work that resumed under King Darius, maybe wasn't as glorious. And four months later, in 520 BC, we, the people had already become discouraged. Because we see in Haggai this word of encouragement to a group had been discouraged. Now, I, I, I got to raise the question here. Why could these people of God be discouraged so early on in the process? Why had they, I mean, they'd just seen this turnaround. They'd just seen this miraculous provision of God. The hearts of the kings, there had been a reversal. They were permitted to go forward. They could do what God had called them to do. So why discouragement? Have you ever felt like when God was calling you to do something and it didn't quite work out like you thought? there was discouragement? Have you ever felt like there were roadblocks in your life that you, you really thought this was the right path, but for some reason the mountain was a little steeper than you thought? Or the road was a little longer than you had anticipated? Or the valley was a little deeper than you were prepared to go? And when you got there, the ground was a little softer and a little muddier than you had expected, and you hadn't worn the right shoes. Had you ever gotten to a place where you thought, yes, this was God's call, and yet discouragement was there? If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, if you've set out together with his people for any mission trip, mission project, attempt, you will find roadblocks in the way. 
I sat down this week with a young church planter. He's uh, just moved. He's four streets away from me, just lives around the corner. Uh, I sat down with him uh, just this last week or so. Uh, it was actually two weeks, and then I sat down with him again this week. And he was all excited, and boy, he was ready to go. And they've, they've been having preview services. They were launching this new church. They've got a great name for it, Radiant Church. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, okay, sounds glorious. I'm excited about it. They lost their place to meet. They'd had a little house that they were meeting in, and the group had grown, and they were excited. But the house had water damage and flooding, and they had to get out of the house. But don't worry, they had worked it out with the schools. The Baltimore County Schools, they had a school that the principal was for it. They had made all the arrangements, signed all the contracts, ready to go. And the week before, this was last week, the week before, they're supposed to do their new big launch. They couldn't find a janitor to unlock the doors. They have a janitor shortage. Anybody, if you're needing a job, apparently Baltimore County School needs some janitors. Um, they, they, they lost their janitor. And this church planner, he was so discouraged. He said, I thought God had called us. We've seen some people come to know Jesus. We're seeing the church grow, but we don't have a place to meet. Well, Valley, I, you, you may not know, but Valley, we were able to provide a place for them to meet last Sunday afternoon. They're going to be with us again this Sunday. They're going to be with us for a few weeks until they find a home. They're praying, God had a provision, but this young man said, but I want to be at 10 a.m. Well, okay, maybe you don't get to be at 10 a.m. right now. God's got a way. You've experienced it, right? Those hiccups, those bumps in the road. God hasn't failed. He hasn't left you. There's still a provision, but you might feel weighted down. The people felt discouraged. They felt discouraged in large part because the present circumstances had not really met their expectations of what it was going to be like. Their present circumstances kind of caused them to be stuck in where they were. And that's that next thing. Their present circumstances, they couldn't go forward. So let's continue in the book of Haggai um, with verse, let's, let's take a look and take a closer look at this passage because I think as we dig deep, we, we will see exactly where this discouragement and God's answer would be. Look in verse 1. On the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. You see it, right? The 21st day of the seventh month. All of you are scratching your heads a little bit like, yeah, what does that mean? No, that's there for a reason. If I said December 25th, you know what day that is, right? If I say the 4th of July, you know what day that is. If I said to these Israelites, these people of Judah, the 21st day of the seventh month, they would be like, well, yeah, of course that means something. That's the celebration of what's called Sukkot, or the Festival of Booths, or the Festival of Tabernacles. This happened every year from the 15th day to the... 21st day of the seventh month. This was the last day of this celebration. Now, what was the celebration? This was a time that the Israelites every year were supposed to return back to Jerusalem, the capital, to worship together <clears throat> at the temple, and they were supposed to live in temporary structures, booths, tents, camp out, any of you guys campers? Any of you guys excited about this? Every year, they were supposed to go camp. Now, 
back when I was doing early college ministry back in Texas, this group loved to camp. And boy, they all, I mean, we, at least two camp outs a semester. They loved, I mean, they had all kinds of camping gear and they had special cooking pots and special lamps and special, they loved camping. And every year, of course, I would go with them and the college camp out, here we go. Every year, like, Vicki, are you coming? And Vicki goes, oh yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then right at the end, oh, you know, something came up with my mom. I need to go see her. Oh, okay. Next time, are you coming? Oh, yeah, I'm coming. Oh, yeah, I'm coming. And then right at the end, oh, there's something I have to do for work. I can't make it. That went on for a few years, right? Eventually, you get the picture that she's not going camping. Vicky's going camping if it's like the Hilton. She's going camping at the Marriott. She's going, that's camping for my wife. She's not going to the lay on the ground, put some of a, something on the fire, on the stove, cooking marshmallow. Thing. She likes the s'mores, but she's not doing the camping. She's not going camping. I, we, we just need to go ahead and, if you want to invite us to camping, I, she's not coming. I'm telling you, that's not happening. This was a celebration of the harvest. This was a celebration of bringing in some of the, the, the bounty that God had provided for the year. But it was also supposed to help the Israelites remember that for 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness after God brought them out of exile after, or out of captivity in Egypt. God took them for 40 years. They wandered and the presence of God was there. The provision of God through this manna, this magical miraculous um, bread that would just be on the ground every morning that they could come and collect. The, the, the God sending the quail for the food. God's fire by night and cloud by day that guided them. His presence was there every day. This week, Sukkoth was a reminder to them that God provided, that God would lead, that God was always with them. It was during that time, in the very first year of their time in the desert, that God commanded them to build the original tabernacle. Different than the temple. The tabernacle was temporary. It was a tent. It could move with the people. But this was the time that they built. And in Exodus chapter 40, we see the completion of this I mean, God gave directions about, I mean, the clasps on, and, and the, how big the, the curtains were supposed to be and what the, rope, the poles were supposed to be like and the coverings. And he gave every specific design. And as the people gave of their wealth, they gave of what they provided as they wandered in this wilderness, they built this construction, they built this tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 40, we see the completion. And listen to verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and he put up the curtain to the entrance of the courtyard and so Moses finished the work. Now it was Moses and about a million and a half other Israelites out in the desert finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In fact, so much so that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This day that Haggai gives his sermon was a perfect day to give the sermon. It was a day when the people had gathered. It was a day when the people had spent a week of camp out. It was a day when the people had remembered exactly how God had provided and been there for the people. But it was also a day when, wow, remember, when God's presence was just there. 
Remember, we hadn't seen it, but we've heard the stories of how awesome it was, how, how, how God's glory filled that temple. And look what we're doing. Is this the same? Does this feel like our ancestors felt? Does this have the same spiritual weight? Does this have the same encouragement? Does this, this just seems ordinary. We're just putting up the walls. We're just putting in the rafters. We're just building this temple. Is it the same as what Moses and those Israelites experienced? Okay, and just in case we miss it, the same month, this month of Sukkoth, the same week of celebration, was also the time when the original temple that then Solomon, 480 years later, after Moses, would build. And this is the same time of dedication. And when Moses, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, had finished constructing this incredible, magnificent temple, it says in chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven consume the burnt offerings. They didn't even have to light the match. They didn't have to set the altar on fire. No, fire came down from heaven, burnt the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And once again, the glory of the Lord filled that place, filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God, the glory of the Lord had filled that place. Brothers and sisters, we can easily become discouraged because our expectations might not be met of some of the spiritual realities uh, uh, that have been and that have happened in the past. The present circumstances may not be meeting those same expectations of of how things went before. And here we see in the season of Sukkot that the, the very season itself reminded the people of the glories of the past that they felt like well, we might be not experiencing those like our ancestors did. Even the harvest might not have been as good as they had expected. You remember that the Lord had already, in chapter 1 of Haggai, said that he had cursed the harvest, that there hadn't been an abundance of fruit because the people weren't faithful. It's going to take a while for another harvest to come around. It's only been four months. The harvest may not have been what the people expected. Brothers and sisters, there's a word for us. There's a word for us. So often we look at the glories of what we've heard of, the stories in the scripture, and we kind of think, wow, if I had only been there with Abraham, wow, if I had only been there with Moses, oh my goodness, I would have loved to see it with Samuel and, and, and the, and, or Elijah and, the, and, and confronting the prophets of Baal and fire coming down from heaven or been there when the, the, the temple was dedicated and seen the cloud of the glory of God, the Shekinah presence of God. I would have loved to have been there. And we sort of think, was our music as good as their music? Was our singing as good as their singing? Was our experience as good as their experience? Brothers and sisters, it's easy to become discouraged. And yet, we must remember the promises. We must remember that God is in this place. I appreciate Song and Ann leading us today. And at, at this last rally, as Song just said, Church of God, sing. And people of God, let's praise the Lord. He has come and he dwells in us. It's easy to become discouraged when we start comparing with the stories of the past. 
But there was another reason for them to be discouraged, and this one probably speaks to us too. It might resonate with you a little bit. The second reason is they had limited resources, made the goals, and their limited resources made the goals that they had for the temple probably seem pretty unattainable. Probably seem pretty unattainable. <clears throat> well, let's look at the scripture and let's see how that plays out. Verse 2 Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shietiel, uh, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Notice that God's word came to every single group, the leaders and the people alike. And he said, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you as nothing? Look, God is confronting them right where they are. God knows what their complaint. God knows what's in their heart and what's in their mind. You see, it had only been 70 years of exile. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, 70 years, that's a lifetime. <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, 70 years, I got that. I saw that a few decades ago. Um, I, I, I get it. Some of you, but 70 years, some of the people who would come back from exile had been there. They had seen the actual temple when they were children, when they were perhaps even teenagers, when they returned what did it look like? This new construction? Okay, I think we have to back up and realize that King David, the first great king of Israel, who had conquered so much of the territory and collected so much wealth, had saved up, had saved up to build this temple. His son Solomon, the greatest of the kings of wealth and expansion of territory, had leveraged all of his wealth and literally the wealth of the nations uh, to build this temple. It says to us, it tells us uh, as we look at the construction, that Solomon had conscripted 153,000 people to build this temple. Wait, did you hear that? 153,000 people to work on the temple. Can you imagine the size of that project? The scripture tells us that 23 tons of gold were used just to overlay the inside of the building. We're not talking about the externals. We're not talking about all the... We're just talking just the inside of the temple. He used 23 tons of of gold. Can you imagine what this place looked like? This what, what was, I mean, the dream of the ancient world. This was the jewel in the crown. This, I mean, Solomon said, I've got to make this place magnificent for the name of my God. And he had leveraged the entire wealth of that nation and really the wealth of the nations around them. He had brought it all together for the glory of God. Solomon's temple had to have been incredible. Now, but by the time of the exile, it had probably, it had gone through some revisions. There had been some uh, stripping of some of the gold to pay off some kings. I mean, there were some things that happened, but still, the structure was there. It was a magnificent temple. And now, this remnant, these few thousand people who had come back trying to take care of their crops, trying to take care of their homes, and on the weekends trying to build the temple of the Lord, these few thousand people with, quite frankly, a little bit of government funds <laughs> just seen to appease God, how could it have even in any way compared to Solomon's temple? It must have seen as nothing. The book of Ezra tells us that when they dedicated it, that there was sounds of, of shouts of praise and shouts of weeping because of the people who had seen the temple before, like, oh man, this just isn't as good. 
the people were discouraged. In a church revitalization like Valley's, we can go through similar kinds of discouragement moments. I remember when. I remember when we had vacation Bible school and there were 200 kids. I remember when we had the youth choir. I remember when we had... Does anybody remember when? And there's just kind of those moments of, oh, oh. And we can get discouraged because it's not the same. And maybe not the same faces. And maybe not the same programs. And maybe we feel like, yeah, I'm, a, yeah, I'm happy about what's going on. But the glory days, I guess they're just gone. And we can get discouraged. Brothers and sisters, let's hear the word of the Lord. Because when God speaks, everything changes. When God speaks, true encouragement comes. And so I want to see, for you to see in the scripture that encouragement comes very first. When the Lord Almighty speaks. When God speaks. Look at verse 4. But now, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Some of us need to know first and foremost who's speaking. This is not just Haggai trying to give a pep talk. This is not just the prophet trying to go, come on guys, come on, let's get encouraged. This is the Lord Almighty speaking. I remember sitting in my little office up at Syracuse, and I was with a young man. Uh, he later, he's currently a, a missionary, um, and we were sitting there talking about the ministry, and um, it was a kind of a downturn year, and a lot of people were graduating, and it seemed like the ministry was shrinking, and it seemed like we didn't have enough new people to take over the leadership roles, and, and this young man was like, man, I, I just don't know what to do. I just, I'm really discouraged. I'm really, and he was kind of looking into me to give him some encouragement, and I'll be honest, by this point, I was a little tired. It was the end of the semester, and I was a little bit down, and I was like, John, I just got to be honest. I don't have enough in me to keep myself encouraged and you encouraged. I'm, I'm empty. And he was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> for four years, I'd always been his encouragement. For four years, I, come on, guys, we can do God's with us. Come on, I'd been the cheerleader. We don't need to hear from the cheerleader. We don't need a word from the pastor. We don't need a word from some kind of spiritual Pollyanna pick-me-up. We need to hear from the Lord Almighty. God speaks, and when God speaks, everything changes. Look at what it says. Hey, Zerubbabel, hey, Joshua, all you people, here's what the Lord Almighty says. Be strong and work. Be strong and work. You know, God doesn't say a ton here. It's very simple. Be strong. Be stout of heart. Hang in there and keep going. Keep going. Sometimes when waves of depression hit, sometimes when waves of discouragement hit, sometimes when I feel overwhelmed, I just need to hear from the Lord. Keep busy. Keep working. One more step. Keep going. Keep going. I need to hear, be strong. Why? Because the Lord is speaking. I can have confidence in what he says. 
because our God acts. You see, he acts in righteousness. He acts according to his promise. He acts in all, for his people. God speaks, but his words never return void. They are not empty. We get encouragement because not only is he speaking, but our God who speaks, our God who promises, also acts. Our God acts according to his promises, things that he has told us, things that he has agreed to, things that God has already made known to his people. God has made promises, and he always keeps his promises. In Haggai chapter 2, we see this in verse 5. He says this, This is what I covenanted. I made an agreement with you when you came out of Egypt. You see, they're thinking about that time when they came out of Egypt. They're thinking about those years of wanderings that their ancestors had gone through. They're celebrating how God had provided for them every step of the way, year after year after year, that there was miraculous provision. There was parting of the Red Seas. There was manna. There was victory as they moved into the lands of Canaan. They, God's presence was there. This is when I already made the agreement with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Do you need to hear that again? God's promise to be with us. He says this, my spirit remains among you, so don't be afraid. God speaks and acts according to his promises. They have not failed. The God who provided for the ancestors through, for, through the, for the Israelites in the desert is the same God who speaks and promises and acts today as our provision. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He hasn't stopped providing. He hasn't stopped fulfilling what he's promised and he acts not just in accordance with his promise, but accordance with his power. With accordance with his power. Look at what it says in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, the dry land. I will shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now, one of the, 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 the passages, it's almost a little confusing. What is this referring to? This shaking of the nations, the shaking of the earth. Well, honestly, it's almost like shaking a purse to get all the, 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 the stuff out of it, right? All of the... Okay. <clears throat> when I lived up in that great northern frozen area of upstate New York where um, you see the sun once or twice a year and it snows from about September to May, um, <clears throat> it was cold. The students would get, you know, we all kind of go through that seasonal depression. Do you guys get that? You kind of like when you get, it gets cold and there's a little more clouds. Does anybody go through that little bit of the seasonal stuff? Yeah, we, we certainly did. And one year I was talking with some of the, the college students about, hey guys, let, what do we like about winter? There's got to be some good things about winter. Come on, skiing or snowboarding. I know, heavy coats. And one young man said this, you know what I love about winter? Is when I get my heavy coat out and I put my hands down in the pocket and I'm like, Hey, there's some change. Hey, here's a few dollars. Hey, here's something I lost. You just find it. That's what he's talking about. 
I'm going to shake the heavens. Just like when you can't find your stuff in your purse or your backpack and you just have to ultimately, you're shaking it out and all of the stuff comes out and you're trying. He's like, I'm going to shake it and all that you need, all that this temple, I mean, I know Solomon had all that wealth and he built that magnificent temple, but me, God Almighty, by my power, I'm going to shake the heavens, I'm going to shake the earth and I will fill this house with glory. Because what? Verse 8, the silver is mine. The gold, it's all mine. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to the Lord. There is nothing that is not his. I could say to that young church planter, oh no, you've been shut out of that school. God has a better provision because guess what? God owns every school. God owns every building. It all belongs to him. None of this is in our hands. It's all in his. And he will fill his house, his people, with this glory. But finally, when God acts, he always acts according to his purpose. God has a greater purpose and a greater plan that is going on in our midst. He's got one that we always need to be aware of. Look again what it says, verse 6. Yes, the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and what is desired of by all nations will come. Now, what does that mean? There's actually some debate among Bible scholars. One of the things that that means is definitely what we just referred to, the treasure, what is desired of by nations. Because let's face facts, we could all use a little more money. Anybody? Anybody feel like, oh yeah, I got plenty. You might have plenty, but... I wouldn't mind a little more, right? A little more, more in retirement, a little bit more. People like stuff. Anybody like stuff? I like stuff. <clears throat> I ordered volleyball shoes <laughs> just because I wanted stuff. I mean, you know, it's like, we, we want a little, it's on Amazon.com. I wanted another thing, right? Because we've been playing volleyball. I was like, well, maybe I need some shoes. Right. We just like stuff, and it makes us happy. And I got them on, and I tried them on, and I loosened the laces, and I, I wore them around all day because it was new stuff, and we like stuff. It's not just about the stuff. From the earliest centuries, from the, I mean, from the patristics, I mean the early church fathers on, they've all seen this passage in, in Haggai as also referring to, as also referring to the Messiah. And I know there's some Bible debate about it, about, well, are you sure? Well, maybe the plural only refers to a plural stuff, but I know it's singular stuff, but, and I mean, it got kind of thick. I was reading the commentaries. I was like, okay, I got to get my grammar back out and look through, back through it. But here's why I'm pretty confident that the church has correctly interpreted this as also referring to Jesus. Because this is what Jesus says in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that speak and testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I think that this passage is not just saying that, oh yeah, there'll be enough gold for the temple. Oh yeah, God will provide enough silver. Oh yeah, there'll be enough to make, make the offerings and the sacrifices, you know, pretty glorious. No, 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 no. This is also about the fact that this temple would ultimately be the temple that the Son of God, the one who was incarnated in the flesh, all the fullness of God, dwelling in bodily form, would walk and would teach and would lead. And he would be, make his temple full of his presence. And the glory of the incarnation would be in that place. And I mean, there is no smoke cloud. There is no Shekinah glory. But there is the glory of Jesus. And until we figure out that the person of Jesus is that unique one in all of Christ, 
creation, that the universe spins around him, that he is the center of all things because God has elevated him up to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every come confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Until we figure that out, we're always going to be a little frustrated because God's purpose, the purpose that he's acting towards, is always to elevate his son and bring us into his kingdom and for his glory. I'm excited about what God is doing today because I guarantee you today God is exalting his son Jesus. This passage that the desire of nations would come is about the fact that Jesus, the one who we truly need, that where our true heart's desire is, is ultimately for Jesus. We see these in our Christmas hymns. Have you seen it? You know the one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, desired of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. It's referring to this passage. It's referring to Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing. The last verse. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. These hymnists, they got it right. They knew that this song, this verse, this passage was about Jesus. The glory of this present house will be greater than that of the former house. I know it's not as big. I know there's not as much gold. I know it doesn't shine as brilliantly. I know that maybe the Shekinah presence didn't seem to be there in the same way. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that we, the people of the kingdom, we, those who believe in Jesus Christ, have a greater glory. We have a glory that Paul says Moses had a veil over his face because God was shining. But, we, but that, that fading glory of Moses can't even compare with the unfading glory that is in us as believers in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. Brothers and sisters, there may be days of glory past, but today, right here, right in our midst, all of us who are believers in Jesus the Spirit of God is dwelling. Right now, this is the temple of God. Not this place, but us as the body of believers. We are called to live out this life of faith. The first song we sang, by faith, we are called to live out this presence of God today. God wants to do things in our midst that's for his glory of his son today. Does that mean that the past things he, no, he was working then and we celebrate and are thankful, but we're also looking to what God wants to do now and what God's going to do in days to come. We're walking in faith. I don't know if you came today, oh, I've been encouraged. We've seen good things. Or you're like, oh, yeah, we've seen some good things, but oh, is it really turning a corner yet? I don't know. What I do know is my God has promised, be strong. Be strong and work, for God is with us. We do not fear. God's Spirit resides with us as he promised. We celebrate as his people. Now, brothers and sisters, today, if you don't know Jesus, you're not part of this. Not yet, but you can be. 
God has offered eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Today, if you've heard his voice, you want to be part of this kingdom, you want to experience what it is to have the Holy Spirit dwell in you, then say yes. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. The promise is that having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, that he puts you in a body, that he puts you in a church filled with his spirit, and you're part of the kingdom. Today, if that's you and you've not said yes to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. Today, if you're not part of a church, but you know this is the place God has called you to be, Maybe you need to speak with me afterwards and say, I I think this is it. I need to be part of this congregation and this church. It's growing. God is moving. The glory of the Lord is in this place. So today, maybe it's a repentance. Maybe you just need to say, I haven't been living out the glory of God. Would you respond as God calls you? Song and Anne are going to lead us in, in one more song. And as they do, maybe you come. I'll be at the front. Pastor Barry will be here. If you need to respond to the Lord, if you need to just pray at the altar, you come. Song and come and lead us.